Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hyper-sexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, Benji and I are going to get into the conversation about how to deal with social anxiety. I think a lot more people are socially isolated than realized. Most people can only identify that they're lonely when they feel the pangs of isolation. But we're lonely more than we even recognize ourselves. And the results are in. It's wreaking havoc on our physical health, on our mental health, our spiritual health, and just in general life satisfaction. And so we know that the more time you spend in isolation, the harder it is to dust off those conversational cobwebs and to start connecting and engaging in meaningful conversations. It it becomes a nerve-wracking experience to some, especially those of you who are introverts, to start a conversation with a stranger or to initiate any conversation at all, right? It's a lot easier just to stay trapped behind your shyness than it is to break through that. And I know that, Benji knows that firsthand. We both are very introverted people by nature, but we get into the details of how we've progressed and what the steps are and what you can do in this day and age to overcome your shyness, your introversion, so that you can actually connect with people and feel fulfilled and stop wanting to escape your life. So without further ado, let's get into it. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the Love, Life, and Legacy podcast. We have with you Benji, Uyama, myself, and this guy. Tony Rambono! <laughs> I thought you were going to say Tony Robbins. Like, what? No, no. Cool. Tony Rambono, bro. Who is that? I don't know who that is. Just me. <laughs> Italian version of me. Just pulled out that random name. Anyways, today I wanted to talk about social anxiety or so being a social, the importance of having socialness in your life. Because there are schools of thought of this. There are people that believe that being social is essential to survival. There are people that could live without it. There are people that can't live without being social. There are people that have a better inclination or more natural inclination to being social. And there are people like Andrew and I, we were just talking earlier about how we kind of growing up were very more on the end of introverted and socially anxious bro. about stuff. And somehow, bro, we've had to figure out how to navigate this. And the reason I want to bring this up, Andrew, is because I found that there are certain elements of people bringing this back to, let's say, sexual integrity, beating pornography, right? There are certain elements or characteristics that people have that make them less susceptible to addiction, particularly porn, right? Or isolation. My theory is that people who are less social, less connected and have more social anxiety are more susceptible to isolation and therefore more susceptible to addiction, specifically porn. So that's kind of like where my mind is going. But I wanted to have Andrew on here because I look at you and I think for both of us, actually, we seem like we're very extroverted people. I know that people are always shocked when, at least for me, when I say that I'm actually very introverted and I very much struggle with social anxiety to some extent, even now, but I don't have any issue talking on camera or in front of a big crowd. But if it's day-to-day life, it's like something in me is like really hesitant to call someone up or to go hang out with somebody. Anyways, what about you? Uh, You know, I just hit 40 years old. And now I just, I realize you get to an age where you just don't care about anything. (laughs) Just walk up. I just walk up to strangers and like, hey, how's the weather? And they're like, shouldn't we be wearing some pants? And I was like, "Ah." (laughs) I know I still get nervous in some situations, but like you have to understand that I was paralyzed with fear from talking to like anybody, especially Mm -hmm. talking to adults, 
if I was at my friend's house, their parents, I would be cowering in fear that they would try to engage in some sort of a conversation with me. And if they did, I'd be like a deer in headlights and so nervous from anybody who wasn't like my, you know, top five best friends or like people that say at school, you get some certain confidence at school. But outside of that, like absolutely unable to communicate intelligibly in front of people or together with people that were new. I remember very clearly back in the day when you would have to dial up phones, if I had to talk to an official person, even in high school, even later than that, calling up people, I'd get so nervous. I'd have to amp myself up just to call a a stranger or call like a business person or a new friend, you know, like you used to exchange numbers back in the day. Hey, what's yeah, your phone to, number? What's your phone remember, number? I get so nervous. I still remember my my good friend's numbers, right? It's yeah. In my head still. yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, I would love to talk about that because, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. We say that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like famous in the recovery world. But like, what happens if you have a hard time connecting? Then I guess you just, you know, screwed. And that sucks. And actually, the more that you end up watching porn, the more awkward you are with people. You just are, you're carrying around this weird, awkward vibe with you. And then you're in your head. It's like a cycle. Yeah, it's a cycle. And then you just end up, like I have thin walls where we live right now. And I hear our neighbors (laughs) playing video games. This dude like never really engages in, you know, if he walks by, we're like, hey. And he's like, hi. And then he'll just go to his room. I hear him playing video games, swearing and like having the time of his life you know, up until sometimes two, three in the morning. And he's a different person when he's in his room by himself on a computer. That's like the him that's loose. Yeah. And then him walking from his car is like, he's, he's <laughs> like running, sprinting, no eye contact. Yeah. So this is a big problem and it feeds into a lot of people's torment. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you're talking about it. So you still struggle? Like you were saying in a meeting Last week, yeah, I think that you're still struggling with things like you have social anxiety yeah. to this day. I would definitely label myself as an introvert. I mean, labels are whatever you make it, but I mean, I was I was a kid similar to you growing up on the playground, just kind of by myself, imagining different scenarios and Power Rangers, and just sit in the corner watching the other kids play and kind of thinking like, oh man, I wish I wish I could play like. And that's a typical trait of someone who's kind of shy. Is is you want to be extroverted, you want, you admire that quality, but you just don't really have it. You don't know, feel confident, really. And that's really what it was for me. So it played a huge role. I was really just one friend every grade. My mom said, well, she says that I only ever had one good friend in every grade, first grade, second grade, third grade, and my whole life. And that was it. And so now it's like, of course, I've learned to develop like an alter ego where I'm confident and I can go on stage and I was a pastor and I did all this stuff and went to university. But at the same time, it's like I still to this day and I noticed this and I recognize that whenever I if I need to call someone or if I'm going to be hanging out with a friend, even if they're a good friend, like a close friend of mine that I really enjoy being in company with. Even that I like have dreams the night before or like I can't sleep or like wake up in the middle of the night because I'm thinking about this, you know, scenario and what, how it's going to play out. And of course, in the end, it's always great. And I always have a good time when I'm in that environment, but it takes so much out of me. It takes so much energy just to, to like hang out with somebody just to like go play volleyball, which I'm doing in an hour or so today. So I'm noticing that recently. And I think that you can say, oh, it's just your character. It's fine. You're doing well. But honestly, like, I think there have been a lot of missed opportunities in my life. And this is why I want to address this. Like, I think that this feeling, it's not about like, oh, I want to be someone I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. 
it's not like I'm looking at people who are really outgoing and, and comfortable around people. And I'm like, oh, I want to be like that. It's more like, I don't like being not myself anymore. You know? Yeah. And I think like you're, what you're saying, maybe when I'm 40, I'll, it'll just kind of click, but I don't like kind of living my life just kind of always being careful about who I am around different people, like depending on their their age. And, you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable with people younger than me. I'm super comfortable with kids, people that are older than me. You know, it's not uncomfortable, but I kind of like put on a different character. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I don't like that. Like, I just don't like it. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel me. And the older I get, I just kind of don't want to be like that anymore. Ain't got time for that. No, I hear you. Okay. But I, so we were talking a little bit before. I just want to recap for those who were not inside your head or my head, (laughs) this thing, this process, because I went through a real process and it was very, very interesting and painful. And I think that you can speed up this process, but you can definitely learn Mm -hmm. from it. And that is, you know, I went from a deep introvert, 100%, I would say 100% introvert, 0% extrovert. But I did have a desire, right, to obviously want to be I saw my friends, they were jokers in class. I was like, that, that's so cool. Like you have this superpower where you can make everybody laugh and everybody seems to love you for that moment. They forget about you like five minutes later, but like they love you in that moment. And then when my parents started fighting a lot at home and things were really tense, I was really not getting the attention that a kid needs at home. So I started trying being the class clown, right? Mm. But I wasn't funny, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I would say stuff and I wouldn't get the reaction. And being still introverted, it was kind of like I'd stick my little head out of my little turtle body. I'd say something, nobody would laugh, and I would just run back into my safe place and just think about that on repeat in this loop in my head, like how, how I look like an idiot, mm. right? But I kept on trying it because there's there's a need, right? There's a need for me to get some sort of validation from other people that I wasn't getting in a natural way at home. So then, you know, I just tried enough. And I did it in a way that made everybody kind of upset. It was very divisive and it was really dysfunctional. And then I got a little bit better at it to where I started getting people laughing, but it was all the students and I'd make the teachers angry because it was very much like us versus the teachers, very rebellious spirit. I was really, you know, into skateboarding, into punk ska music. It's part of the turf. Like, it's just like part of the the caricature of a skateboarder, right? You've got to be rebellious. But the process there was going from an introvert to painfully trying to be a little bit more extrovert. And it was a painful process. I was like middle school. Then by high school, I went to a high school where none of my like elementary school friends went to that high school. I went just like a handful of us went to this other high school. So I could like basically reinvent myself. I even had a nickname primed and ready to go. I was like, this is going to be my nickname. <laughs> People could, guess what it was? I, I'll give you a million dollars if you guess what it was. And Love don't, you. it's horrible. The Drewman Show? It was do, D-O-O, do, like, and do, like, do, horrible, horrible. And it didn't stick at all. But this, this idea was like, I was a new person. So I went in and I was swinging for the fences, bro. And I was like, I was the rebel. I was the class clown. Yeah. And it was still kind of painful, but it was getting slowly easier. And then the process was from the beginning of high school to the end of high school, I turned it from not being about my dysfunction and more just being an extension of my character and I would make the teachers laugh too. And it wasn't in combatants with them. It was like incongruence with their agenda. So everybody won, right? Mm-hmm. And at that time I started doing comedy, a lot of comedy, uh, and then I graduated. And then I went into school for comedy and then I was doing all comedy. And when I was on stage, especially in a dark room, 
and there's like a spotlight, like I could, I could flip a switch and typically be on. I did have some bad shows where I would regress and be an introvert on stage, which was terrifying, horrible, mm. terrible experience, traumatic. But after a certain point, I got really good at performing. But if I had to give a presentation in school as myself or something serious, my knee would start shaking like crazy. That was my tell sign. My knee would just start rattling and jingling all around. And so then, you know what solved that? No. And Heather, Heather Talheimer. I don't know if anybody out there knows yeah. her, but she basically, I was living in New York and I was kind of living this missionary life. And she would just take me and she'd say, okay, here's a microphone. Go talk to these, like this group of people. And I'd be like, about what? She'd be like, you'll figure it out. You know? And then I was just like thrown in, thrown into the deep waters and I had to learn how to swim. And little by little, I started to realize that the less I focused on myself, the more I could be an amazing speaker. And the more that I focused on myself, the worse I was and the more self-conscious I was. And I wasn't connected with my audience because I was thinking about myself. And then I just started doing more of that in life. Then I do that in meetings, right? And then you stop thinking about yourself altogether. You're just looking at people and you're contributing to the fullest extent that you can to whatever environment you're in. And all of a sudden, you're not thinking about yourself and you have all the confidence literally in the universe because it can flow right through you. And you're like, that was a great yeah. idea because it didn't come from me. It came from source. It came from cool. God. And so it's just been like that for the past maybe... 12, 13 years. That's how I got over it is I just stopped thinking about myself. Yeah. And now yeah. it's most cases I can do that. But every once in a while, I'll find myself in a new environment. Like, let's say I'm around a bunch of really like powerful entrepreneurs that are, look like they're all like super good looking. And, you know, like I live in Colorado. So there's some really successful, you know, amazing looking people. I can go into that room and then start thinking about myself comparing. And guess what? instantly lose my superpowers. I'm not funny. I'm not engaging because I'm thinking about myself. You see that? Yeah. The moment I stop thinking about that and I start engaging with them, I'm like, just not joking to make them laugh, but talking to them in a way that's very free and liberating, they feel liberated and they want to hang out with me more. Mm -hmm. and that's the truth about it. So the process of going from not being nervous around people and awkward to being amazingly engaging with anybody is the process of letting go of your ego and yourself, your sense of self, and just thinking about the other person. And that's actually just a basic life skill that most of us don't learn. And I'm still an introvert. I would say that I'm still probably 40% introverted, which means I can go out and I can talk to a bunch of people. And then after I'm done speaking to a bunch of people, I have to go and sit in my car for a while or be yeah. by myself and stare at nothing or meditate and just because I'm exhausted. So you were mentioning like the anxiety of having cold phone calls with people. <laughs> I know that you do that a yeah. lot now with Heinen, right? You yeah, talk to yeah. people out of the blue. So how do you prep yourself for something like that? Or do you feel any kind of anxiety from that? Or are you just like, in the second nature now? It, no, if, if it's something intense, then what I'll do is I'll pray and I'll remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing and think about the thing that's bigger than me and then connect with that because then all of a sudden, it's like you've just taken a ladder and you're no longer you. You're something that's bigger than you. You represent it. You are a part of it. You're speaking from that place of power, of something beyond yourself, that cause, that mission, whatever it is, right? And when I don't do that because I'm too rushed or whatever, then you're screwed. You know, I got, I haven't been nervous in a long time, but last week I had a, my interview for citizenship and I've been praying about it with my wife for 21 days. We've been internally preparing, just saying, look, God, whoever you pick to interview us, that's our person. And I got the 
meanest guy out of the lot. He was a real no-nonsense kind of guy. The kind of guy that wears a loose-fitting dress shirt to work and a tie and no jacket. Like the bane of my existence, you know? And no laughing. He didn't say hi to me. All the other ladies that came out and gentlemen, they were like, oh, hi, how are you? And this guy was like, did you turn your phone off? That's how he greeted me. And I was like, oh, I'm screwed. But then I was like, I got this because this is not, it's not random. And I prepared myself to view it as such, to feel this is like a godly experience. So whatever happens, it's for me, it's a life lesson, but I'm not in control, right? I didn't get to choose who that person was. Does that make sense? Yeah. So during the interview, I basically proceeded to do everything that you're not supposed to do because I was very nervous. And they say, don't talk a lot, okay? Just be concise, answer directly the questions that they ask. And I could not do that. It's not within my skill set. I have to talk a lot. And the more I get myself in trouble, the more I talk. And so I was speaking myself into oblivion and I was starting to get more nervous, but I was almost about to self-destruct. But what got me out of that was remembering that this isn't about me. And then I had been preparing for this moment by praying with, together with my wife. This is a, something bigger than us. We don't want to just be in America just because it's nice and convenient. We care about this country. We want to help it. You know what I mean? And I, was, I would always return back to that. And all of a sudden I could get through that interview and I passed. Nice. It was a near disaster. And I, there's a point in that interview when I just wanted to cry, get up and walk out because I'm like, obviously we can both agree that I failed. I hate you. You hate me. Can we just agree to disagree? But I refused to because I was connected to something bigger than that. Does that make sense? So hey, like, congrats, man. You did it. Yeah, thank you. That was America. a really big deal. But it just brings me back to if ever I need that universal power, universal prime energy, whatever you want to call it, to flow through you, then you need to stop blocking it by thinking about yourself. That's the biggest lesson. And to do that is usually a process of slowly wringing yourself out of yourself, of your ego, of you know, just thinking about yourself, because that's ultimately very selfish. And nobody wants to hang around with somebody who's just really self-conscious because it's yeah. really annoying because all they're thinking about is themselves. Got it. Congrats, do. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. That's awesome. You should change your name while you're at it. <laughs> Yo, you know, that's like a, gener like a typical introvert thing is before you go to school, you already have. Yeah, I have my clothes out. lined out. I like you already envision your whole <laughs> Yeah. No, dude, I'm like that. I understand. Yeah, so it sounds like you're what you're saying, what I'm getting from this at least is you're we're painting a picture that there is a certain dark side of being too uh, antisocial or introverted or whatever your character is. There's a side of it where it can be harmful, right? Especially in the realm of isolation, pornography, addiction on all. And the antidote seems to be to stop putting the spotlight on our own self and our own ego and try to see uh, others, right? Try to yeah. highlight others rather than ourselves. Even as we're talking today, I'll, I'll give a small tip for everyone listening. When I'm meeting with people, because I have exactly what Andrew's talking about, and because I know when I go into meeting, if I'm too focused on myself, then the conversation is a flow. So we're on Zoom right now. So I disable my self view so I can't see myself. <laughs> so I'm literally unable to see myself and I'm only able to focus on the person that I'm talking to, right? Yeah. So that's <laughs> interesting. That's just something that I do because it helps me kind of not focus too much on me and what I look and how what I'm saying and 
my background and all that kind of thing. So yeah, anyways, I want to bring this conversation because I think that this is really a critical part of our process for growth and how to learn how to be not, it's not about social being social or extrovert, introverted. It's about how do we connect with people? And it's through connecting with people that we experience the fullness of life. We experience that genuine love that is required in order to succeed in life no matter what you're doing. And as long as we're isolating ourselves, and I think this is a growing trend, like gone are the days where you meet an extrovert. Like I don't remember, you know, I don't know many people that are like a true genuine, like just loves, you know, go down the path. If you ever take a walk in the morning or go up the mountain, go hiking, you know, it's, it's rare to, to find someone who's like, hey, good morning. How are you? You know? Yeah. Usually people are like, oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe at, at least in the States, right? Maybe it's in different other places. But around here, it's like, oh, hey, morning, you know, and, and then I want to get back to what I'm doing. So I think it's a like maybe due to anxiety, rising stress or social media, whatever it is, I think we have to actively seek out connection, actively seek out relationships. And it starts with asking ourselves the difficult questions like, am I, am I afraid of something? You know, what do I need to do? And like I said before, I think this is one of the most important character traits of somebody who has self-control and someone who has victory over sexual integrity, porn and all that is their ability to just have a network. When, when you go out, when you do something, when you go play sports or go play volleyball or go to church, right? Or join a small mm. group or yeah. do whatever, your chance, like if you do something like that every day, the chances of you feeling depressed and down yourself and more susceptible to acting out is just almost eliminated because your chances of having victory skyrockets when you keep yourself elevated at that level of energy and that level of connection, right? That's a huge point. And I think we've always had some sort of social structure in place to be accountable to a group of people. So you either would have your tribe, your colony, whatever, your people, and then when we expanded a little bit beyond that, when we started to settle in cities and stuff like that, there's always a religious center, whatever your religion is. And everybody would, there's like a general social pressure that everybody goes to church. Now, hardly anybody goes to church. And that's not just a small thing. That's a major thing, a major component of life that was systematically removed from our Western lives, which is a community, a sense of community. And that's like testing out being yourself in front of other people. That is low risk. If it's too high risk, like new people, it's traumatic when you kind of say something stupid, right? Because then you're labeled as a stupid person. But if you're with a community of people that maybe you don't see every day, maybe you see once a week or twice a week, you can test out being the version of yourself that you're striving to be with those people. And you can test it on. Like that's why they have change rooms in clothing stores. You want to try something on to see okay, it looks nice on a hanger, but like, does it fit right? Does it really feel like me? And the same thing is true of your personality of like, we're all meant to constantly change and grow and evolve. And so we need other people to test out these new ideas. And I've, I've had this theory for a long time that you need kind of an ethical or moral-based community to hang out with to know if you're in line with something that makes sense or whether you're going crazy. Because sometimes you need to challenge the norms of the group that you're a part of. Let's say it's a church. Sometimes you really need, you see, guys, we're out of line and I think this is wrong. And you can actually wake up the whole community that you're a part of. But sometimes, honestly, it, you're just going, you're losing it. <laughs> you know, like you have an idea and you think that it's right. You're convinced that it's right. And then you share it with other people. And all of a sudden the feedback is, no, you're crazy. And sometimes it is because you haven't thought things through. And that feedback loop is super important. And without that, you're missing out on a major 
evolutionary kind of building block in the life of a human. You need to think things through, but you also need to practice it with close friends and then practice it with a larger body of people. And that's natural because you can't go just from like something in your head to just going and doing it. And it's going to be flawless because there's a lot that is missed because you're just you. You only know what you know. That's why comedians, like you think you have the funniest joke in the world and you go and you try it out. It's going to bomb, you know, half the time. You're not going to get the reaction you think it deserves because it sounded funnier in your head, right? Same with like, I have this new idea for this new like way of living. And then you, and then you test it out with other people like, bro, that's just crazy. Or somebody else is like, oh, this guy already tried that. And it ended up in, you know, murder, suicide or something, right? Like, yeah, Charles Manson already tried that, bro. Right. So I just think that that element of community is so much more important than we give it credit to. And High Noon strives to be something like that, not to replace a religious community whatsoever, but to be some level of accountability so that you can have a group of people that you can check in with on a weekly basis and be like, these are the thoughts that are going through my head. These are my actions. And like that keeps you sane. Without that, it's very easy to go crazy in this world because all you're ingesting all this information, right? And you're like, what's true? What's not? It's very easy to start believing in conspiracy theories or whatever, unless you're like sharing it with other people. Yeah. I was going to ask you that in a second is what can people do? And you highlighted High Noon groups joining a program. I think that's a good place to start. Highnoon.org. You can check it out. One thing you mentioned about social groups, that's something I've been playing out with actually, that theory that you have is, so my specific example and situation is we play beach volleyball with a very tight knit group of people that I grew up with, like best buds. And it's just fun. I'm totally myself. And I'm just out of this world crazy. And I feel like just really myself. And I'm like cursing. And I'm just (laughs) like, and my kids are playing in the sand, you know, next to me and, and they're getting hit by the volleyball. And I'm like, they're fine. You know, it's, it's just fun. It's a fun environment. And then sometimes for them, what? Not for my kids. No, they're fine. Don't worry about it. Getting smashed the, everyone, with balls everyone. with a swearing dad. <laughs> hey guys, like I'm <laughs> It's funny because all the most of the other people don't have kids. So when someone gets hit by a, a volleyball, it's like, I mean, it's a volleyball. It's not going to kill them or damage them. They're like, oh my God. And they get so worried because, you know, hitting a kid. With, I'm like, just don't worry. They're, they're strong. You know? <laughs> They'll bounce back. Anyways, so what's happening now is we're mixing up our team with other players, like other people that like playing. And I noticed immediately that my vibe of how I play and my enjoyment declined. And I just wasn't myself. I wasn't like that kind of fun, like loud. Like when we score, I just like scream. I don't know why. I just I just let it out. But I stopped doing that. So that's that's my challenge is, or not my challenge. That's my, that's my next kind of task milestone that I want to do is like, how do I be myself around different people? I'm not saying I'm like, I'm wrong or it's, or anything like that. I just like, that's who I want to be. I want to be able to be me you know, regardless of who's who's around and just not care. You know, if anyone knows Sammy, my brother, he's more like that. I don't know how he got this because I only have one brother and Sammy's my older brother and he just doesn't care a lot about like what people think and how he is or how he's perceived and- Or how he smells. <laughs> Basically talking, just talking crap care. about Sammy. <laughs> we miss him. Do you guys miss him? Let us know. <laughs> All right. No, he's busy. And anyways, so you have anything else to close this out with? Yeah, hey, I mean- Everybody, you have to understand that isolation is not natural, it's not healthy, and it's avoidable. And there's no excuse in the world. I was dealing with some of the guys that I'm taking care of now, two of them are dealing with this. And one just like hasn't been in school for a couple of years because of COVID. He returned back and he just decided to be more outgoing. He's in a really good place in his life. 
where he can think about other people. And he said, after a few days of doing that and like not being self-conscious and just engaging, somebody called him an extrovert. And he's like, nobody's ever called me that in my life because he's redefining who he is. He's choosing who he wants to be. And it takes practice. So one tip is this, when you try to evolve yourself and try to change up some aspect of your personality, some part of your character, some part of your nature, how people perceive you. If you try to change something about that, they're going to say, what's up with that? That's not you because what they're saying is that doesn't remind us of the person that we remember you to be. And a lot of times their insecurities about you changing causes you to not want to change because it feels awkward, right? Like when you change fashion, you go from like the best example I can have is you go from baggy jeans to skinny jeans. People are like, you can't do that. You never did that before. It's like, says who? What rules are you talking about? This is the pants that I want to wear now so I can wear what I want, right? So that's a trivial example, but it's like, okay, well, what about like in high school, I went from being an idiot to being pretty smart in terms of like my capacity to communicate. And I remember our valedictorian, he was like, wow, you're pretty wise. And I was like, yo, the valedictorian just said I'm wise. And it's like, Mm. that's that was out of the question. But like, I was just on a different level and I was communicating in a different way. And But people weren't used to that. And even my teachers, I remember the first time in history class that I ever tried, actually tried, <laughs> like on an essay to do well. And I, I got it back and the and teacher took me out after class. He's like, Andrew, did you copy this? <laughs> I was like, no. He's like, this is way better than anything else you've written. I was like, I know, because I tried. And he's like, you promised you didn't cheat. I was like, I didn't cheat. But <laughs> it's like, he was shocked, right? So those kind of things can make you scared because it's all very new and it can make you want to retreat back to your familiar self. But I encourage you just to be really clear on who you want to be and keep on testing that out. So if you would like to connect more with people, go through those tricky waters of communicating with people. Try to look the cashier in the eye and say, how is your day today? And just care about that person. Don't think about yourself. Think about that person, all the stuff they must have gone through that day. I did that. That's That was a lifesaver when I was super nervous last week in my test. First thing I said is, thank you so much for coming into work today because it was a snowstorm. And the guy was disarmed because he'd been so mean to me the whole time. He's like, oh, oh, well, oh, no, no, no. Uh, thank you for coming in today. I was like, yeah, boy, it's called give and take. So it just it's very disarming when you're generous with your love, but you realize that everybody's looking For love, nobody just wants to start the exchange. So that can become your superpower. You just have to get over your awkwardness. So if you do experience social anxiety, know that you can overcome that with practice. You can become more of an extrovert if you would like to be. And you can make so many people's days and you can sometimes change their lives by simply stop thinking about yourself and focusing more on them Mm. and lifting them up. And watch what happens. It will transform how you see engagement in terms of like, you know, connecting with the world around you. It's yeah. very exhilarating. That's awesome. You too, Benji. Let's let's both do that. Like it's something that if you're consciously aware of and you start practicing, it's so much fun. You're like, why have I, why have I not been doing this my whole life? Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to do it all the time. You can selectively, okay, this time I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to make one person really happy. I'm going to like offer them happiness. And be like, look, yeah. you look re- like a really cool person. I'm sure nobody's ever said that to them, you know? And then all of a sudden you just made their day. Mm. That's a big deal. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll end it here. I, I think I'll give one example of playing volleyball because I don't know why I give a lot of volleyball examples. <laughs> See, when I do something social, guys, it's a big deal for me. And I think through it very carefully. <laughs> right? So when I first started playing beach volleyball with some people, 
I lost every, almost every single game, like seven games in a row. And I couldn't figure out why. I'm not, I'm not a terrible player. Like I'm, I'm decent, right? I'm pretty athletic. So I couldn't figure out why. And then Hitoe was there and she was like, it's because you're focusing on yourself. This, I know, right? That was like her Neo moment. This is, <laughs> this is my life. She says, because you're trying to, man, not mean. She's like, because you're trying to, to highlight yourself and you're trying to, to play well. Can you please buy your wife a cat so when she says stuff like that, she can pet it? <laughs> so my point, guys, thank you, Andrew. I'll, I will do that, even though I'm allergic. I Wait, you have a cat. bunny. She could just be petting your bunny. Yeah. So she said that and I realized like, holy crap, you're right. And then after that, I started changing my mindset. For how can I play well to how can I help others play well? Like you're saying, how can I highlight others? Yeah. Even if they're a lot worse than I, I am. We started winning. I not kid you not, every single game, we started winning. Because I was not focused on me playing well, but I was focused on passing well, communicating well, highlighting the other's strengths. And that's how we, we win all the time, guys. Can't be Boom, shakalaka. So there you guys go. That's the, that's the secret to life. You'll notice that everybody's really, even cranky people, you can break them out of that spell just by focusing more on them and be like, wow. Just like just snapping people out of this hypnotic spell that we're, most of us are in. We're just in our own worlds. Every, but everybody wants to connect. We really do. It's just, we forget that. And so if you can remind people, you'll be more awake, you'll be more excited about life, they'll be more awake, they'll be more excited. And all of a sudden, you'll feel more fulfilled and you'll have less desire to want to escape your life, thus resulting in porn, masturbation, all this stuff. That's just this grandiose attempt to escape the discomfort of life. So lean into it. Go put yourself in situations. I promise I'll do the same thing today. I'm about to hit up the library today. I'll go nice. make some nice, sweet, random small talk with some people, but I'll throw in some like zingers in there and then whatever, and I'll see how it goes. And, and I might look like an idiot, but you know what? Who cares? You got to cool. try. Got to practice. Yeah. It's great having you all. Be sure to follow us on this podcast or subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. We love you guys all. Join a group at highnoon.org if you want to get to know us a little more. We love you all. Right, Andrew? Love. Sure. I don't know who's listening. There might be, my enemy might be listening. (laughs) (laughs) All the love in the world. All right. God bless everyone. Take care. Bye. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also, you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together, and sexual integrity involves other people, okay? If you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there.